Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. All right, last episode we were talking about kids and church attendance and deciding or not deciding how they go to church or where they go to church. And I was totally intrigued. I did not know this. Greg was describing how he and his wife have handled that with their girls. And I wanted to delve into that a little bit more because I think it, yeah, I'm curious for you to put maybe a little bit more color around it. And then I'm also curious to know how this maybe ties into, I think you had a blog post recently called, Mm. what was it called? It was called When Believing Hinders Belief. And it raised this idea of belief believing versus understanding which you had also mentioned in another podcast so yeah start us off there and tell us more okay um well yeah i I think that the whole kind of approach that we've taken with the girls uh is to try to be consistent and one of the consistencies we that we just i don't even think we talked about it so much as we it just would have been painfully awkward and almost deceptive i think deceptive to to them to not do and that that was to be consistent in terms of the way we approach christianity allowing them to approach it that way too and obviously you know when your kids are young they don't have any information so what are they going to base things on what are they going to understand what's their basis for understanding and so, um, you know, I think we began by somewhat taking them to church, but of course, church wasn't working for us. And, uh, you know, we didn't need more, more difficulties and more problems in our lives. You know, at the time when the kids were very young, I was just starting grad school. Uh, we had some good experiences just before that, uh, when our youngest was uh, three and under and our, our eldest was three and under and our youngest was just born. So she would have no memory of it, I wouldn't think. Um, but on the one hand, allowing them to have some information, but on the other hand, I think this is, this is one of the pieces that I think works out best by allowing people to allow it to unfold in their lives. And that is the experiential piece. How do we experience God acting? And for my kids, I think one of the reasons that they are willing to come to this church, they're, they have had friends at a different church, and that's gone kind of up and down and more down, admittedly. But, you know, sometimes you stick it out. And, and that was their choice to stick it out or not. But I think one of the big reasons they're coming to this church, and which comes back to the experience of God, is that one of the major events in the last couple of years is that my spouse and I have been separated and we were separated for eight months before we decided to come together and to stay together and not get divorced. And at the time that we were separated, my eldest was uh, 12 and uh, almost 12 and the younger was eight. But we stayed apart an additional 12, 13 months so that we could work on some of the things that were more circumstantial, more to do with uh, where we lived and how that was impacting us. And so we could keep this kind of separate spaces going and work on the common space without us both being back in the common space and then 
being overwhelmed by some of the difficulties that it posed. But the upshot for the children is that they were able to see, and maybe, maybe I need to step back, um, stepping back I would say, a big piece of the puzzle in terms of us coming back together again was Christianity. So for my spouse, she was not a Christian and began, um, I'll say finally, finally for her, I think, reinvestigating Christianity as a result of the separation. She had been a Christian for a number of years, had walked away from that Christianity at the same time that I did back in, say, 1993, 94, and had never come back. And we're talking 2012, never come back, right? So we're talking nearly 20 years later. And she had sort of uh, made many attempts uh, to kind of reassess her, her, her views and re-engage with some form of Christian belief. You know, not necessarily trying to force herself to be Christian, but just to get herself in the same space so she could think it through, discuss it with people, etc. And she found many things hampering her. Well, the church that the kids are now attending and the church that the whole family is attending is the same church where Susan, my spouse, went and she, she basically met the minister and said, I am, I am dead broke. I've got nothing left. Um, my marriage is falling apart. These other things, my, my life is a mess. And um, I've, I've been part of a church in the town that we live in and, and that's done nothing for me. And I'm not sure exactly what brought her to this church. She had some sort of contact. I don't know what it was. But that was a process that has resulted for her in her being able to be in a space where she is at least actively considering Christianity. So I don't know what sort of a label she puts on that. But the kids are aware of this. They're aware, like, my mom is going to church. Uh, and then they're aware that, you know, clearly of the separation, they're aware of the whole uh, you know, the fallout from that and some of the difficulties. And they're eventually aware of us coming back together, of us trying to come back together, first of all, and then eventually, you know, being able to do that. And, you know, they're also aware that for me, the big component in me being able to, to reconnect with Susan at a time when I did not yet feel that I could trust that some of the things that she was committing to, you know, we both needed to commit to different things to change. And I was not yet able to trust that I could commit to believing that she was doing those things, that she was committed to them. And a big part of that for me, my ability to bridge the distance between my, my lack of trust and the fact that, you know, okay, well, you, you got to do something to turn the tide here or you're not going to turn the tide. Right? Is, this, is there a potential that, that this is true and that you're so angry from the past that you can't see it? Yeah, there is. And so what might put you into a space where you can engage more truthfully? And a, a huge part of that for me was my relationship with God. And uh, I don't know if it bears going into now. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe that's a, like a total can of worms. <laughs> I, I was just thinking... 
the comp- the levels of complexity here have just increased. Like we were just talking about kids and church, but then yeah, I would think it would be even more complicated. Well, so it sounds like you came back to Christianity before she did as well. Yeah, I mean that was ninety nine. So we had we had all so these years. So that's another layer of complexity, and then oh, yeah. the marriage. Another. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, you know, and the kids are seeing all this. They're seeing all the fallout. They're seeing all the arguing. They're seeing all the problems. I mean, when we talk about our kids and worrying about our kids, I mean, there's so many things that, um, <clears throat> well, for me at least, I don't know. I, I'm assuming for a lot of people, there are a lot of things that they do that that potentially you know put their kids in a bad space or, or quote unquote screw their kids up. Um. I'm, but I certainly own that for myself. Definitely there were. And um, the kids see all of this. And it's big and it's complex. But I think the, the reality is not only and purely negative. It's not only like they see all the bad things and are influenced by all the bad things. And once you've done some bad things, well, it's kind of set in stone for life. So you've screwed them up and it's all downhill from there. I, I don't agree with that. And my life and my experience with my children shows me otherwise. Because, you know, they're seeing all this and then they're seeing this recommitment and then they're seeing that we're back together. And then we're seeing, they're seeing these, these kind of, um, they're being told that certain things will happen and they're seeing those things over time happening in a kind of halting, stumbling sort of way, admittedly, but they're happening. Wait, is this, oh, so is this the tie-in to belief and understanding? Well, it's the tie-in, I think, first of all, to the, there's a, there's a part about, yeah, it does tie into that, but it, but I'm kind of really focusing on this idea that their reason for being in church in this particular church is because they have seen good things happen in their family and to their parents. Because this Christianity. Well, there's a big connection there. So if they're not willing to say it's because of Christianity, they can't ignore the connection. You know, and I'm trying not like I'm trying to let them it's, it's a paint by numbers. And I'm trying to let them connect the dots here, as it were. Maybe I just mix metaphors, but it's a, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. It's a draw by dot. You know, it's a draw by numbers, whatever that, those things are Mixed called. Mixed up with a crossword puzzle. Well, <laughs> some of that too. But I'm trying to let them make the moves on their own, right? While making the points clear. And if, you know, they can connect them in many different ways. But I think some of the basic connections they're making are there's something important about this church and there's something important about Christianity and there's something important because it's been good. It's had good results in our family and I'm not saying that it's going to, you know, cure and heal everybody. I mean, I, I, I'm giving you a, an example of something that is direly difficult, that is emotionally just, you know, excruciating. So, I mean, I hope no one's hearing this and thinking, oh, gee, well, that's a kind of trite example. Well, <laughs> no, it's not. If you've ever been there, no, it's not. Uh, it's, and, and we were very fortunate. But, but part of the reason, I think a huge part of the reason, uh, from my perspective as an adult, is that God is involved. God was involved. God continues to be involved. And there's good evidence through time by way of concrete events and situations and changes that show not only me that, but that are observable to my kids. So one of the reasons why I want my kids to understand and not simply to believe is because I think there are things there that they can latch onto that give them a solidity to their belief, that make it real, that show them how it interacts with real life. In other words, when I 
am a real person living a real life and there is this however faltering, this dedication and this, this, this persistence of sticking it out with God. My kids are able to understand things. They're able to see them and put them together. They may not put them together the way I do. But even if they don't accept and believe what I believe, the things that I accept and believe remain as questions to them rather than just these kind of meaningless ideas disconnected from real life that are only there to seemingly control people or make people do good things or right things or whatever. But when you can see that it has purchase in real life, when you can see that people's lives are changed, that's when all of a sudden it's real, it's meaningful. And I think that my girls are seeing this and that's what's really prompted them to come to this church. So how overt are you in talking to them about what you believe or like what, how do you go about that? Well, you know, here, here's an interesting thing. This, we live in a small community and, and I could walk to literally three or four churches in less than 10 minutes, but we're attending a church which is in a neighboring sort of village and it's about it's not far. It's a 25-minute car drive, which, if, you know, if you're in most cities, then you're driving across town, not even, right? Not at rush hour. But that 25 minutes allows us to have some time to talk. And usually what will happen is any one of the four of us, there's myself, my spouse, and our two daughters, any one of the four of us might be curious and or worried and or irritated by something that we've heard. And then that will prompt a discussion. And if the girls are there and it's an adult, maybe not an adult discussion, but the adults start the discussion, they may choose not to participate. And they may just say, would you mind turning the music up in the backseat? <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. And, but, but sometimes, sometimes I will say, you know, it's, <laughs> I got to say, it's true. I mean, I'm a parent, right? Um, <laughs> If I'm particularly irritated about something and I think it's not just – it's something that, that, that the girls really need to know about, I will take the time and, yeah, okay, they're cornered in the car. They can't get out, but it is only 25 minutes. So I'll take the time and I'll talk to them and say, okay, so here's what mama and papa are talking about. Here's why papa's getting so angry about this or frustrated or seems to be worked up about this. Right? What do you think about this? How do you think this might apply? And uh, – yeah, just just trying to trying to engage them. So we're overt enough about it, but oftentimes to, you know, if there are like I've mentioned um, on a couple of podcasts, some of the difficulties that have occurred in this small community with one particular church and with the group of. At this point, I know of two families where it's been very difficult, and one family where it's been just confusing and weird, and, and then our family. So I guess that's three on the hurtful and difficult and one on the weird. But when these types of events arise, because we're in a small community and we might have another family over, and these are people who have gone through a very hurtful situation with this particular church that, again, we as well have um, gone through a hurtful situation with. And, um, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't call the children over to include them in the conversation, but we don't try to hide it from them and hush it up. And so... You know, at the end of the night, when the other families leave, 
we will, they might say, well, you know, okay, I overheard some of that or, you know, um, in a couple of cases, it affected the children, right? It wasn't just the adults who were affected by this negative church experience. It was the children too. So in those cases, particularly, even if the kids don't talk about it amongst themselves, our kids are very interested to know, well, you know, what, what did happen roughly, generally, and, and you know, what, what, what were you saying about that? And what, what, what is the kind of the next step? And, you know, some of this stuff in the particulars, I think, is adult information. But in the generalities, I think it's information that our kids need to know because they help our kids see how we're seeing things, see how we're judging things, and allow them to take part in that process of weighing things up, of judging things, of assessing things. That seems really valuable. I hope so. You know, and I, I guess it's, some of it's just occurred and, you know, somebody listening could, I, I'm sure, I'm, I'm dead sure that somebody listening could fault me and rightly so for exposing my kids to too much information at times. I'm, I'm sure it's happened. And that's because, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to err on one side or the other, we are going to err on the side of giving them more as opposed to giving them less. And again, well, I think particularly when it comes to, to church where there's such a tendency and such a, an orientation towards just, just accepting it, taking it, believing it, surrendering to it. Um, this is just not our way. This is not my way. This is, I've, I found this to be a, a this leads towards, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a softer word, but I'm not really finding it. I think it, it's beyond dissatisfaction. I, I think it's deathly. It, it's destructive. And there are a lot of things out there that could be destructive to my kids, right? There are a lot of different ways of existing and relating with people, relating with themselves, activities they can engage in. But I can't protect against all that. I, I, I can try to help them be prepared, but I think helping them think through things and become competent assessors and judges of various different life situations is one of the biggest skill sets that I can model for them. And I want to take pretty much, depending on the content, but pretty much as every opportunity I can, that's not going to be harmful or threatening or overwhelming to model that. And so much of what we've been exposed to here has been actually in the kind of domain of, of religious belief and Christianity. So they're getting a lot of exposure to that. I'm smiling. How does this, <laughs> how does what we're talking about here tie in with this blog post that you wrote? Well, I, I think, I think it ties in pretty closely in the sense that, um, you know, we often, uh, again, Christianity seems to intermix things that I think we, we really want to take a, a good think about whether they should be intermixed or not, like this idea of belief and, and say faith. You know, having, I have faith. I, I believe something. I believe that God exists. This is not a knowledge claim, right? This isn't the same as, this is not a scientific uh, category. It's not a repeatable reality. It's specific events in specific places and unique uh, occurrences. Now, does that mean that, that, you know, it's like, well, I wasn't there at the time. I can't know. Well, no, 
It doesn't, right? We've talked before about testimony and that's its own conversation. And people may find that to be much less compelling. Wait, so are these philosophical categories when you say, would you say knowledge or? Oh, like testimony and... What was the other one? Well, the, the idea that you were saying that, that God can't be proven. Oh, yeah. Well, knowledge versus belief. Well, uh, maybe, yeah. But I mean... Uh, for some people, I think... I'm not sure other... if I agree with that or not, but just... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just playing it back as I'm understanding you. Okay. Well, I guess what I'm getting at there is is this this sense of wanting or needing certainty. And I think that that is in itself, yes, that's a philosophical sort of orientation that um, at least in, 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 in any part of the, 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 the philosophical the sort of uh, Western philosophical world that I'm familiar with um, doesn't hold water. Nobody's thinking that way anymore, put it that way. However, in, a, in, in the world, generally speaking, when we get outside of the universities and get outside of what's being discussed and what's being agreed upon, which is, which is another good aside, this whole idea is often brought up in Christian circles that you can't uh, trust philosophy because you can get one person will say one thing and another person will say another. Well, yeah, but you might get... 15,000 people saying one thing and about five saying another. Now, that's an awful lot to consider, right? That there may well be a, a couple of crackpots out there. So by and large, there are certain things that are agreed upon in philosophy. You know, there is progress that's made in terms of uh, general consensus. And one of the things that I would uh, say that's... Um, you know, a part of that consensus is this idea that human beings can have certainty. This is an idea that comes out of the Enlightenment in the 17th century and René Descartes and others, um, who I think were trying to do some very valuable things and, and made, some, made some no small accomplishments. But this was a direction that shouldn't have been taken in. We shouldn't have been taken in. And, and I think in terms of Christianity, it plays out by this notion that I don't want to just believe Christianity is true. I want to know it. I want to prove it. I want to wrap it up and hold on to it. And some of that is uh, understandable right? Having a sense of security. But it's much more than security. And on the other hand, we're left in a position all the time where faith is required. That's part of the reality of being a human being, not just about Christianity. I sit down on my chair. I don't test it every day. Actually, <laughs> the other day, a big piece of my chair broke off. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been loaned this chair. I've been given it. And I just, like, it was free. And they said I could have it as long as I wanted. And I thought, okay, cool is generally okay. It's ergonomically fine, right? I can lean back, do all the stuff I like. It's an office chair. But when I went in to choose it, they said, here, come into this, this other room and choose a chair. And I, I went through the first chair I, I had, uh, the wheel fell off and that was like a no-go. I, I can't sit on a chair with, it's missing a wheel. I'm going to clunk around. Forget that. Well, I got, I made a change and I came back in and about four weeks later, a big piece of this, and I've had it sitting on my desk until recently, a big, big piece of plastic. And I'm like, uh oh, like big enough that I'm thinking, where did this come from? And what does it do? Because <laughs> I can't do that anymore on my chair. Right. But I don't test it every day. Now that that piece of plastic is broken off, I have faith in my chair. I just, I just do. I just, because I've got enough, like maybe if, if I came in and it was like obviously leaning to one side, I wouldn't have faith. And I would uh, begin to be doubtful that this chair could hold me up. I might crash or, you know, hurt my back. But typically I don't do that, right? And I, that orientation towards trusting things, having faith in things is, is part of what we do, right? And we don't do it automatically. We don't trust everything. 
But there's a process we go through, and typically once we've gone through that process, we let matters lie. Well, with Christianity, faith is important, but faith is not just belief, right? I have faith because I believe I have good reasons for it. And those reasons are like the reasons I talked about earlier with my kids. First of all, it can make enough sense for me to believe it, right? When we talked about this before, this whole progression between belief from belief to understanding to trust. And so part of this whole relational reality, I guess, of Christianity is we're moving from, uh, can you believe this in this idea? Is it believable to you, right? And do you know enough about it? And then can you, what do you understand of it? Do you understand it enough, right? I mean, if I understood that, if I believe God existed, but I, I understood God to, um, I don't know, be, be, be like Zeus, the Greek God Zeus. Well, I, I'm not going to have any commitment to that God, right? That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fellow you don't want to cross. You want to stay as far away as you can. So what I understand about God is going to condition my ability to be in relationship with God and have faith. It's also going to condition the next step, which is trust. So, you know, coming back to my kids, they have um, a sense and an understanding that Christianity has an impact in real life. And now, through this process of going to church and having discussions as a family or things come up, we're looking or working towards, I guess, in a kind of, in a day-by-day way. We don't have like a program for this or a schedule. We're just working, if I can use that word, towards understanding. They're developing their understanding. And they're being able, because they've been to a church, a different church, where different things were, were proposed, they're able to contrast that and say, well, you know, at this church, they said this. And at this church, they're saying that. And we could say, well, what do you think about that? They say, well, hmm. Most times they say, that first church didn't make much sense. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me why they would say that. And so they're able to, you know, go through that process. So, yeah, I, I think this whole distinction between knowledge and belief is really important. Knowing Christianity is not, not what we're supposed to be doing. The ultimate end is belief or faith, but we don't have that as a groundless thing. We have it because we have something to base it on. We have sufficient understanding and we have, um, you know, we can weigh up some of those truth claims particularly the ones that say God does things in the real world. Christianity's real and it's tangible. It has tangible impacts. Yeah, that progression that you gave was, that was from episode 31. That was really helpful mm-hmm. to me because there was, there was a sense, well, in that discussion and then at other times that, you know, it's just a matter of believing, just have faith. I mean, just, really trust yeah. that this is going to work and that's never felt this never made sense to me so i don't know it was mm-hmm. just helpful i really appreciated that sense that yeah it's a progression right now when you say it didn't make sense is that is that an intellectual thing or, or is that an experiential thing or is that both How's that i think out? it was more of an experiential well maybe or maybe it was a I think it was a trying and failing thing. <laughs> uh, in other words, oh, if you just it just believe this enough, like if you just just think it earnestly enough, then it will become true for you. Hmm. And it just it didn't work. You know, and that's a really interesting phrase you just used. 
true for you? Hmm. Like, you know, in other words, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience is that using that phrase in Christian context is a great way to um, get people's hackles up. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that. Yeah, and, and I, well, and I think my choice of words there was comes back to my whole ownership thing. In other words, mm-hmm. it's it's true for me in a way that I own it. It's it's I I really stand behind it. Mm-hmm. Versus, well, maybe or probably or it's not that consequential. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I'm. You know, that's a word that 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 I kind of set up or set up a contrast, I guess, in, in some of my graduate work with that notion of truth for me. And then this notion of, you know, divine truth or God's truth or full truth or whatever. So I'm, I'm altogether like there with you in this idea of truth for me. Yeah. The truth um, for me, I think that that would be normally heard as kind of relativistic that, mm-hmm. that everyone can have their own truth, even when two people's truths contradict each other. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think I think one of the things that again we we don't do as Christians, or we haven't done, and we haven't been taught to do, and shown how to do, is we haven't gone through and kind of looked at. Well, can you have a situation where two truths, two claimed truths, are don't reconcile? And most people would say, well, no, that's just a point of logic. You can't. And I would say, well, I think it depends on what type of truth you're talking about. And you know, this is maybe another podcast, but. Um, this whole idea of, you know, mathematical truth, no, you can't, you can't have two plus two equals four and two plus two equals five or logical truth or physical truth. But, you know, the Bible is a lot about relational truth. Who is God? Who are we as human beings? So, you know, identity and nature of both of those two, God and humans, and then What's the best relationship between the two? And of course, it's trying to persuade us. It's trying to persuade its readers of the information it's giving about these two entities or categories and then uh, to act on that, to act on that relationship, to embark on it, right? Um, but this notion of can, can relational truth be different? Uh, I, think it, I think it can be in the sense that we don't have to say, we don't have to come down with the gavel like we're in the courtroom and say, no, you're saying two plus two is five. And I think we want to be really careful about some of that when we're talking with each other and interacting with each other. And, and I guess that's another component working with the kids. When we allow for their perspectives to be different, um, I'm not just saying to myself, oh, they're 12. Oh, they're 14. They'll figure it out later. Uh, we'll come back to that next time. You know, um, If it's an important point for me to clarify, I'll clarify it. But I'm also allowing them to have their perspective and realize that, you know, um, that's, a, that's a real perspective. And I, I allow it to challenge mine, you know, and my understanding. And a lot of this stuff, too, and we're talking about truth for me, I think we're probably not talking like, you know, two plus two is five. And we're not talking about killing people, hopefully. You know, that that's a true for me thing to do, so I'm, it's okay for me to do it. And I think we should probably back off a little bit on some of the apprehension we have about that. I mean, I don't understand the killing people. That sounds a little <laughs> strange. <laughs> well, <laughs> somebody could say, listen, it's true for me. Somebody could say, God, God hates, uh, 
people who kill babies. And so I'm going to blow up this abortion clinic. And it's true for me that this is what I'm supposed to do, even if it's not true for you. Okay. So I, I would say, well, that's kind of like saying two plus two is five and that's true for me. No, it's not. You know, it's not quite as stark as that, but it's pretty stark. So when I'm saying that truth for me can, you know, you can hold a particular perspective and that can be very true for you and somebody else could hold a very opposite perspective and that could be very true for them. I think there's a little bit more digging and assessment that needs to be done in order for us to really make sure we're understanding each other and then to say, well, okay, you know, what do you want to do with this? You, you really think that um, it's a good idea to uh, divorce your wife. What do, you, what do you want to do about this? And, and what basis are you, what do you have for, for, for having that sort of um, strong position? And, you know, someone may or may not uh, be willing to talk about that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is when we dismiss this idea that truth for me is anything other than relativism, um, we are simply living in a space where we haven't taken the time to investigate this notion of truth enough and where we're also, I think, not caring enough for the people involved to be able or willing to have a lengthy conversation that's going to be required to get to the bottom of, or closer to the bottom, of what they may be saying by that. I think my head's starting to hurt with all this philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that wasn't my goal. <laughs> we never know where it's going to go. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. Notes and links for this episode are at untanglingchristianity.com. We welcome your thoughts and comments both at the website and our private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the private Facebook group, let us know your email address in the sidebar of the website to receive notes and links for each episode, and we'll send you an invite to our private group. Or you can send your thoughts or request to join the group by email. Send those emails to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs>